This episode is brought to you by our friends at Toyota. Toyota isn't just a car company. And the new podcast, Toyota Untold, isn't just about cars. In Toyota Untold, you'll hear unique and insightful behind-the-scenes stories, such as how a son's love for his mother led to Toyota's unlikely origin as an automated loom company, and how robotics, other advanced technologies, and mobility services are being researched and developed to address the challenges for the elderly, disabled, and even Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Discover how Toyota is rethinking mobility in the brand new podcast, Toyota Untold. You can find Toyota Untold right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right, now let's get back to the show. Coming up on today's show, would Antonio Brown be a fit in San Fran? Will we see Cam Newton in 2019 at all? And how mad would Joe be if they gave him fast food at the White House? Plus, Brown's Pro Bowl guard Joel Batonio joins the show to talk about the team's turnaround, Freddie Kitchens, and blocking from Baker Mayfield. All that and more on The Tomahawk Show. Welcome to The Tomahawk Show, presented by Uninterrupted. Uh, Make sure you interact with our show. Follow us on social media. You can find us at Tomahawk Show. When you use the hashtag Tomahawk, that is when we can see the shit that you're talking to us and we can respond so do not forget hashtag tomahawk and even more importantly make sure that you go ahead subscribe and rate us five stars that's what keeps this show up and running hawk how you feeling today i'm okay um tomahawk is uh starting to build a wedge in my marriage so <laughs> do it's share. worth it you know i woke up today well, for people who don't realize, or this might be your first episode listening, number one, you're an idiot. <laughs> number two, I record from Los Angeles. Joe records from Wisconsin at the moment. And 8.30 is our today's tape time. Now, 8.30 Eastern is 5.30 Pacific time, which means I had to be up around 4 o'clock, <laughs> right, to get, get going, get my juices flowing. So I get up. Besides the fact I got home late yesterday from doing a bunch of work, I get up early. My wife looks at the clock. She wakes up and she says, does that clock say effing 4.30? I'm like, yeah, I got to go in. She's like, oh, you're ridiculous. Rolls over, goes back to sleep. Mm. She's like, Call me when you get to work. Love you. Wow. But I can just tell she's like, your fame from the tomahawk is starting to really get to me. <laughs> and, you know, it's just one of those things. A lot of It's a lot going on, Joe. It's, it's kind of your fault. Well, at least she finished with I love you instead of. Get the hell out of my face, you loser. Instead of Joe Hawk yourself. Joe Hawk yourself. If she would have hit you with Joe Hawk yourself, it was it could have been a dual meaning though. Like she, that could have meant that she's secretly on board, but she's pissed at you right now. Or it could have just meant like literally get the hell out of here. Joe Hawk yourself. I won't be here when you get back. Think, really the only reason why she hates she hated at least she hates when I get up super super early is because I turn all the lights on. I like I'm showering. I'm singing as if it's like in the middle of the day, <laughs> you know, just really inconsiderate. That's a, that's stuff. a great so she's, question. She's not off base. <clears throat> that's a great question. What type of person are you when you wake up in the morning? Because I'm a little bit of a morning person. I used to be a night person like any 20 year old. But then after years of football and getting up early and working out in the morning, now I'm totally a morning person. Like as soon as I wake up, I pop out of bed. I turn all the lights on. I will either take a shower, I'll go work out, and like every light in the house is on because I want my body thinking it's day, it's time to work, let's go. So I'm really productive in the morning. At night, I'm worthless. Like I have nothing left. But my wife, on the other hand, like we'll wake up in the morning 
and I'll have all the lights on. I'll be like making breakfast or whatever. And she'll come down and turn the lights off. Like she still wants to be <laughs> sleeping. And I'm like, well, of course it takes you forever to wake up because you refuse to like acknowledge that it's the morning time. Turn the lights on, get up, <laughs> grab a coffee. Let's go. So is Keisha I'm the a, same I'm I'm, yeah, she's not a, a, a early, early, early morning person. My my kids usually do all the waking up in the house. I'll get up, but like I told you before, I get up early and I go to sleep late. Yeah, you don't sleep. So I just barely sleep. Yeah, and that's the part. She she doesn't hate that I'm up. She hates that I don't get any sleep. Oh, like yeah. she's like, that's not healthy. You idiot, is the no. term she usually uses. Doctor Keisha so, knows best. I'm like, you know what? There's a there's a an influencer out there, a gnat or something that's trying to beat me to the punch, and I can't let him do it. Yeah. I can't let him catch me slipping, Joe. Yeah, that's a good point. So my wife is still not getting a lot of sleep because we still got a baby that's up from like 3.30 to 6 every day. So that's part of the reason that she's like super tired in the morning. But I've, I've always been a person that when I'm up, I'm up, and when I'm down, I'm down. Like when I'm sleeping, you can't wake me up. But when I'm awake, like I'm good See? to go. But if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't go back to sleep. I'm a big sleep momentum. I sleep momentum. with one eye open. What's that? You say you're a big, a big sleep momentum? Sleep momentum guy. Like, I'm either all the way awake or all the way asleep. There's, like, no in-between, and there's no bouncing back and forth. I'm the lightest sleeper, and I sleep with one eye open. God, that's frightening. <laughs> like, if, if anything happens, I pop out of bed. Like, what was that? Would you say something? She's like, uh, I just turned the TV off. I'm like, oh, okay. Just making sure. I thought somebody was trying to break in, and I had to... <laughs> you never know. You guys I'm have, you never know. You Joe. don't sleep at all. I don't. Like Matt. seriously, he was at the office super late yesterday, and then now oh. he was up at like four in the morning. I'm just convinced that you just don't yeah. sleep. I don't. This is this is this is fact. If anybody knows it, if anyone outside my house knows I don't sleep, Nat, it's you. I <laughs> yeah, feel like you're I'm pretty sure. in tune with my schedule. Do you ever get um, like uh, carried away where after like seven or eight days of just a few hours of sleep, you're just gassed and you sleep for twelve hours? No, because I've been doing this for like two years. Wow. So because I've been doing it so long, it's just now the way I operate. God, that's unfortunately. Well, but in twenty nineteen I'm changing that. Okay. It's not. But I'm twenty nineteen, I'm changing it. I'm not traveling as much. Like hmm. it's just not I'm not it's not no I put my work in, Joe. That's kinda where I'm at with it. Yeah, I put I'm the cool work in. I paid my dues. Pay the pipe. So did you, you know? did you sign up for 2019 football yet? I know that uh, this is kind of the time of year where all big media personalities and analysts like yourself are looking for their contract for next year. So you are under contract right now for next year yet? I'm still under under the contract with with uh, Espen, the worldwide leader in sports. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we'll you know time time will come. I mean, we're two budding media stars mm-hmm. here, Joe. So mm-hmm. I would imagine. People are going to be knocking down our doors anytime they can. Any day now. Any day now. Now it hasn't started. And no one has made any interest calls <laughs> or emails or even acknowledged that I'm out here. But it's okay, Joe. It's 2019 is going to be our year, man. I like it. I know we said that in 2018, that but it. something tells me now we mean it. <laughs> We're rising at the same time the Browns are. Yes. All right. Listen, if, if you're living under a rock, this is the Tomahawk Show. Again, we're going to encourage you to subscribe and rate the show five stars. It's free. It helps others find the show and it notifies you every time we drop a new Tomahawk Show. Now, we're going to get right into it, into some quick hits around the league. We got Kyler Murray has been 
the topic of choice for most of the sports shows throughout the week, Kyler Murray, obviously the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback from the Oklahoma Sooners. He has decided to enter the NFL draft. Uh, for people who don't know, he was drafted by the Oakland A's maybe before this season. Um, but he, he played his senior year of football because that's his quote-unquote first love. He agreed to a $5 million signing bonus with the team to jump into his baseball career after football. He blows up this season. Team goes to the college football playoff. He wins the Heisman. They're saying he's going to be a first-round pick, which is wild because, again, Peter Schrager said this on Twitter. If Kyler Murray is 5'10", I am 6'6". <laughs> like, that is <laughs> – Whoa. He is a legit 5'8", five, 5'9", five, quarterback. They're talking about is going to be a first-round pick, maybe even the first quarterback off the board. That being said, he gave the Oakland A's an ultimatum that unless they guaranteed him $15 million, he would enter the NFL draft. He still has time to back out of that, but that's how we got to the current point. Joe, with this whole Kyler Murray situation, I've heard fans, I have producers that work on my Sports Center on Snap show who are avid baseball fans, and they are pissed they called him greedy. Someone called him um, entitled. Yeah, uh, yes, this is these are real takes. Someone said that it's not fair to the other players. I again, all things that I was like, you were out of your flip, flipping mind. But Joe, give me give me your opinion on the whole situation. Well, first of all, greed is at the heart of professional sports. That's what drives everybody to do everything that they're doing. Owners, yes. coaches, general managers, players, agents, everybody included. You're trying to maximize your value. It's your job. So for uh, Kyler Murray, he's looking, okay, what job, now that I'm done with college, can I do to have the most success in, right? Just like anybody mm -hmm. that leaves college, right? Just because it's a game doesn't mean you're not allowed to look at it like a business decision. So for Kyler, he's looking at it going, all right, what are my chances of long-term success in baseball versus what are my chances of doing this in football? And of course, how much he loves one versus the other is going to come into play when you make that decision because overall, in the end, it's all about happiness and satisfaction in your job and your career and your profession. But clearly, mm -hmm. he loves football too. It's not like he only played football because he was good at it. He loves it too. So just because he makes a, a business decision and realizes, hey, I might be the first quarterback off the board, I got an opportunity to be a great football player. I might as well use my talents, my God-given ability to the best of my uh, ability ability that was redundant <laughs> that, why, why is that a bad thing I, I can't figure that out hawk yeah it makes zero sense to me but that's 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 the that's the world we live in yeah. now my question is is he making the right choice because as football players as a guy who's had his head bashed in who's been <laughs> decapitated uh multiple times and as a five under five ten guy who played in the nfl those hurts those hits hurt a little more. Like when Joel mm. said, the hit didn't hurt as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, you were yeah, was 327 pounds <laughs> getting tackled by a DB. No, it's not going to hurt. It's like gonna feel like <laughs> your little sister trying to wrestle you down. For me, that shit hurts, okay? So, Kyler Murray, 5'9 quarterback. I would say go play baseball, but I understand the business of it. I understand the – I think he's a star, and he's like, I want to stay a star. I don't want to jump on a minor league bus and ride that to the most obscure cities in the country for five years before anybody ever even sees me again. So what is your take? What do you think is the right decision? If it was you, what would you do? If your son was in the same situation, Joe, what would be your advice to him, and what direction would you push him in? First of all, 
if you're the best baseball player in baseball, you're going to be making, what, $35, $40 million a year. And you can do that up until you're about probably 40 into your early 40s. So Mm -hmm. clearly, if he thinks he's going to be the best baseball player in the league, he's going to be able to make more money in baseball than he would in football. Less hits, your body's going to be in much better shape when you leave. Although, as a quarterback... We've seen like guys like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers. You can play a lot longer in today's NFL because the quarterbacks don't get hit the way they used to. So um, that's a little bit of a moot point right now. But still, as far as contracts go, you can make more in baseball. As far as his immediate contracts, though, like his most likely to earn contracts, he's probably going to be a first-round pick. I think Todd McShay had him in the top 10 to 15 already. So that money is already way bigger than what he has gotten from the Oakland Athletics with that signing bonus. You mentioned as a baseball player, it doesn't seem like he's ready to be the top big league guy right now. So he'd probably have to bounce around the minors for a little while and do the uh, the minor league stuff, which is great, but probably not as much fun as going and being a starting NFL quarterback at one of the 32 NFL franchises. So I can easily see why he'd potentially want to do that from a just enjoyment standpoint. Hey, I'd rather be the starting quarterback of let's say the Arizona Cardinals versus mm-hmm. the Beloit uh, Bombers in double uh, A baseball. <laughs> Toledo <laughs> Mudhens, baby. That's, that's the squad he needs to play or, for. Or the, yeah, the Toledo Mudhens or any one of your minor league teams. But if I was him, here's what I would do. And I would say, all right, guys, I'm uh, declaring for the draft. If I'm not a top 15 pick, I'm going to go back and play baseball. So everybody knows if I'm not picked in the top 15 – If you pick me at 16, you basically might as well not pick me because I'm going to go to baseball. So he gives himself a floor where if you don't pick me here, if I don't have this type of contract, then I know I'm going to go to baseball. It's going to do two things. First of all, then everybody knows not to waste a pick on him after 15. But also, it could serve to boost his draft stock. Whereas if a team's thinking, oh, he's going to fall to us in the 20s, we really like him. All of a sudden now they may have to trade up into the top 15 to be able to get him knowing that after 15, that's his floor. He's not going to play football anymore. So he could theoretically kind of jury rig the draft a little bit where teams are going to have to trade up if they really like him because they know he won't fall below 15 because he'll just go play baseball. But if you're a general manager and someone said that, like if, if it's me, it's not going to make me want to trade up. It's going to make me not want to pick you. As a quarterback, as the staple of my franchise, the face of my franchise, I just feel like that means at any given moment you will leave the sport and go to your other option. I tell, I told somebody this week when they were talking about the Kyler Murray thing, and it's something that um, a, a man told me when I was early, early on, and it could be terrible advice, but it still rings true. A person is only as loyal as their options, right? And here is Kyler Murray with options. So if after a year, two years, things aren't going the way that you want it, like how do we know you're not just going to pack up your bags and go over to baseball? Because there's nothing preventing you from doing that, which is why you're in the situation you are now. So it gives you leverage. But if you make the determination if after 15, after pick 15, you're just going to go to baseball, to me that that does kind of – it's a gray area. I would say, eh, I don't know if he's really in on this, right? Like that that's different to me. Everybody is different. That being said, you talked about the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals being a choice. Now that Cliff Kingsbury, who loves Kyler Murray, he's talked about it on record before he took the job. He's sitting there with the first overall pick. Would would you trade away Josh Rosen and then pick Kyler Murray with the first overall pick? Would you think Cliff Kingsbury 
was a madman if he did that, or do you think it's smart? Well, a quick rebuttal to what you said before that. <clears throat> Go ahead. You were saying you that uh, general managers and owners would be worried that if he said, hey, if I'm not picked in the top 15, I'm going to go play baseball. That fear is already baked into the cake because a month or so ago, Kyler already said, yeah, I'm going to go play baseball. He's already been drafted. So that fear is already out there, no matter if he goes one, five, six, seven, because an NFL franchise has to be thinking like, hey, if we pick this guy and he's our starter or he doesn't win the job right away, let's say he's our starter and that gets benched or he doesn't win the job for a couple of years, he's liable to just go play baseball. So we lose that pick before that contract is up. And I don't know if there's any mechanism that they could put into the contract to guarantee that he has to stay with him for four years. But I think the fear has already been baked into his value as a draft pick, no matter if he says, I'm going to go play baseball if I'm in the uh, not in the top 15, or if he gets mm-hmm. picked in the top 15. With that being said, <clears throat> we talked about Arizona. Should they trade Josh Rosen and pick Kyler Murray? Well, I'm going to say no. First of all, we are not certain about Kyler Murray's ability to play in the NFL. Like we talked about, it's a height issue. We're heightists in the NFL. Andrew Hawkins was a midget. And he was five eight and a half. He didn't even have to play quarterback and see over giant six six linemen. Kyler Murray is gonna is gonna measure in at like five foot seven, maybe. And he's gonna be about 175 pounds. He would be smaller than Doug Flutie once he gets measured at the combine. This is going to be a real concern because in the NFL, unlike college, defensive linemen and blitzes have very, very uh, strict rush lanes. So that Mm -hmm. means they try to constrict the pocket because in the NFL, a batted pass or an incompletion because a quarterback gets hit or he's got people in his face is just as good as a sack. Whereas in college, you see much more reckless pass rushing where you have defensive ends that just fly up the field and they're running around the quarterback and defensive linemen, they leave their gaps and they leave big passing lanes where you don't have to see over anybody. As a quarterback, you just have to make small movements in the pocket in college. And a lot of times you can run or you can throw through those throwing lanes but you don't get those big throwing lanes in in the nfl unless they develop an offense like the old run and shoot where he's literally running out of the pocket and he's getting and escaping almost every time he throws the football i think his height is going to be a significant issue now we've seen drew Brees, baker mayfield russell wilson on down the line succeed but they're six one kyler murray's going to be like five inches short all right let's say six foot kyler murray is going to be like A full four inches shorter. And when you're shorter from a height standpoint, I think his arms are probably going to be proportionately shorter. So when we're talking about a release point for the football, it could be a full five, six, seven inches shorter than a guy like a Drew Brees. Now, Drew, Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson, those guys overcome that by having great anticipation and extreme accuracy in the football. They know where guys are going to be. So even if they can't see them based on the coverage, they throw to a spot and on time based on what their footwork is in the pocket. I'm not saying Kyler Murray can't do that, but it's going to be an additional hurdle. And taking him number one overall and trading away a guy like Josh Rosen, who has, by all accounts, all all the tangible assets that you want from a physical standpoint to be a great quarterback, all he needs is time and coaching. I don't think you can give away that guy. However, maybe if somebody does fall in love with Kyler, you would have an opportunity to trade back a little bit because I truly believe they need to invest the time and resources into developing Josh Rosen, especially now that they got a Tomaflocky in at head coach. 
in Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> well, here's my rebuttal to that. Number one, you don't speak on behalf of short people. You have no idea what that life is like. <laughs> Thank you. All right? So don't give me your expertise <laughs> on what it's like playing life. in the NFL short. You <laughs> leave that to me. I leave the pools and the, the leverage and the, the, the baggy football pants to you. You leave <laughs> play, being short in the NFL to me. Uh, fair enough. So you, all, you said that you don't know if he can play in the NFL, right? We also don't know if Josh Rosen can play in the NFL. If you look at the first-round picks from a year ago, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, he ranks last in who played well that season. He didn't play as well as Josh Allen. He didn't play as well as Sam Darnold. He didn't play as well as Lamar Jackson, and he definitely didn't play as well as Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield being the short one of that group. I can show you a ton of 6'5 quarterbacks who suck, Joe. If you want me to make a list for you over the last 10 years, guys that have that height that you so uh, richly require and you you want so bad at your quarterback position, I can give you a list of 20-plus guys who filled that requirement and are terrible. They aren't any good. So that doesn't matter. What Kyler is really good at is exactly what you talked about. He's extremely accurate. You can't teach accuracy. The quarterbacks who are accurate now in the NFL have been accurate since they were eight years old and they first picked up a football. That's what Kyler Murray is. So for that reason, that's the thing he has in common with the other short quarterbacks, except also he probably runs a 4-3-40, right? So he's mm. a, a quarterback different than we've ever seen. He's extremely mm. fast, stupid athletic, extremely accurate, has a cannon because of his baseball background. He's just short. So that being said, I do think he could change the game. I think he would be exciting in the Cliff Kingsbury offense, which is why Cliff tried to recruit him out of high school before Cliff left Texas A&M to go to Texas Tech. But still, man, I, I, my biggest concern is the baseball thing, is that if I can make the same money doing something else, if I run the ball and I get blown up by a defender, if, if Luke Keekley catches me over the middle and my head hurts, am I going to start rethinking my decision? Am I going to start thinking, man, I can still make this money and not have to take these kind of hits? That's my only concern with Kyler Murray, but – well, I guess we'll let that play out as the, as the time goes on. How about that? He says that's his only concern. He's not concerned about height whatsoever, no. which is just a fallacy. Because if he was four foot eight, you would be concerned about his height. If he was four He's foot not nine, four foot eight. I'm just saying there is a point where you get worried about height, right? Just like speed, you can say, "Oh, speed doesn't matter for a receiver." Look at Anquan Bolden. He runs a four nine. If he ran a five five, would you be concerned about speed then? At some point, you have to admit that you would be concerned about physical abilities. We yeah, he's have... got nine inch hands. I'm not worried. What if it was five inch hands? What if he can't even grip the ball with one hand? What if he's got baby hands like my daughter? He can't even put his hands around the football. At some point, you have to be concerned about it, right? I'm not saying it is the only concern, or I'm not saying for sure he can't do it, but I'm just saying the question marks get bigger the slower you are, the shorter you are as a quarterback. The less arm strength you have. There's deficiencies in everybody. Everybody has things that they're not good at. But you make up for them in other ways. I'm 5'7", but I'm literally the quickest human being on earth. So Mm -hmm. I can play in the NFL at 5'7", because nobody is as quick as I am. Like, Kyler has all those other abilities that he is in high. Like, like for instance, porcupines, they're little animals. They will Mm -hmm. get crushed. What do they have? They have spikes. So other animals don't mess with them. It's survival of the fittest, Joe. Ben Roethlisberger. Off the field concerns, but he's really good on the field. So he makes up for any concerns he has off the field. It's, there's a bunch of things. We all have things that people don't like with the exception of Nat, who is an influencer, has it all going on. Yeah, all the rest perfect. of us regular humans, we all have something that's not good. So you better make up for it in a different way. 
Yeah, you know Griffin. what you talk. You Griffin talk about has a, one hand. He runs a four three. It's okay if he has one hand. Yeah. If you can run the forty yard dash in four point three seconds. <clears throat> you talk about a porcupine's got quills. Oh, and everybody's scared. Well, you know what? I've seen a Mack truck go down the road and squish a porcupine, <laughs> and those damn quills didn't matter one bit. So you can't tell me that the quills are invincible. Just like, uh, <laughs> just like Kyler Murray being quick and being able to overcome his shortness with his quickness. At some point, there's somebody that's just so big and so fast that it doesn't matter how quick you are. Thank you very much. Oh, man. You were such a sizist. It makes me sick. All right, moving on. Jerry Rice says Antonio Brown would love to be in San Francisco. Uh, I don't know. Meanwhile, Bruce Arians, the new head coach down in Tampa, says Brown has too much diva for him and isn't the Mm -hmm. same guy that the Steelers drafted in 2010. What is your take on the whole Antonio Brown situation? Because he's essentially forced his way out of Pittsburgh. He is not going back. Yeah, I think he needs a new surrounding. He needs to put some new people around him he needs to go to a new team with a new coach where he can start fresh right now I think he's too far down the rabbit hole of I'm the man the Steelers are my team there's been just way too much going on there for him to be able to turn over a new leaf and become a new guy that shows up for Saturday practices because he's already staked his claim that he's going to be the diva guy and he's not going to listen and so I think a new surrounding would be good for him because I do believe that Antonio Brown does not want to be known as the diva. He doesn't want that black mark on his record because we saw what had happened when Terrell Owens became that guy and how hard it became for him to get into the Hall of Fame. And I think Hall of Fame is important for Antonio Brown. With that being said, I think this is my latest theory on Antonio Brown. I'm I'm really interested to get a receiver's take on this, right? Mm -hmm. So... I'm well known as an anti put your workout on Instagram and social media guy. I think it just causes way more harm than good. Typically the guys Mm -hmm. that I've seen do it, do it only because of one of two things. Either one, they have not worked out at all and they have to pretend for one day to show that their coaches, or at least they think that they're going to trick their coaches into thinking they've been working hard all off season. Uh And two, because they want the comments from social media influencers like Nat, like, Oh, wow, you're working so hard. You're the hardest worker. We love you, blah, blah, blah. Because they need need that personal fulfillment from strangers for some reason in their life to tell them how great they look or uh, how good of workers they are. I've played with a million of them throughout my career. Hawk was one of them. He couldn't (laughs) wait to get off the couch that one day in the offseason and do his little speed ladder and then post it and have everybody think that he's this big, hard worker. Antonio Brown... Is, hibernate the rest of the offseason. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Antonio Brown is the workout warrior Instagram guy, right? He puts stuff on there all the time, and he loves the narrative that Antonio Brown's the hardest worker in the offseason. Look what he does. He goes to Florida, and he runs on the beach every day for 50 miles. Now, that may or may not be true. I've heard he is a really hard worker. But the problem is when you have co- people constantly reinforcing this idea that you're the hardest worker and that you you relate being a hard worker with you deserving something, you get this sense of entitlement. I am a hard worker, so I should be treated differently than the rest of my teammates because the rest of my teammates don't put stuff out on social media with them working out. So I must be working harder than them. So my voice should be heard more within the locker room. My voice should be more important. What happens with me on the field should be more important. I should get more catches. I'm entitled to this because I work harder than all of you all. Even though all of his teammates probably work really hard, they just don't post it on social media. So I think, 
truly, that this social media workout warrior guy becomes entitled to the fact that he's better than everyone because in his mind, he works harder and he deserves it more. What's your take? I have a couple of questions for you that'll start my take. Number one, you believe in maximizing business, right? You seem like a capitalist type, Joe. I'm a capitalist. Okay. Do you think posting workouts online and bringing that narrative that you're a hard worker, does that help you capitalize your business as a professional athlete? There, there's no doubt it helps okay. you brand yourself as a hard worker, which fans love. Okay. It also helps you show all those people out there, uh, those marketing people. It, sh- it gives you, them a side of you that they may want to sell to the public. So it does make your brand more valuable, no doubt. Okay. So you're in on the capitalistic uh, nature of yeah, posting I'm in on your the workouts online. Side of it. Okay. Yep. Maximizing your value as a professional athlete. Okay That's that. what you're in on. Okay. Yep. Do you believe, as in your, what was it, 11 years in the NFL? Yep. 10.5. Ele- then I. Then I got uh, ten and a half years in the NFL. Did did you believe you had a pretty good feel on who the hard workers were on the team? I knew every one of them that was a fake hard worker and everyone that was a real hard worker. Okay, you and the usually fake the hard fake workers. hard workers were the social media guys. Not always, but a lot of times. Okay, social media guys were the fake hard workers. Did did you have a good feel on who cared? more than everybody else like which guys really gave a damn really really put the work in to be like man i want this so bad did you have a good feel for that i did but it wasn't always the ones that the fans thought right because usually the fans relate how much you yell on the sideline and how ballistic you go uh on the coaches when things aren't going well or how pissed you are with facial expressions after a game or your post-game interview when you lose but that has nothing to do with it that's just you outwardly showing the fans and the media on purpose that oh this is imp- this is more important to me because you're trying to brand yourself just like we talked about mm-hmm. go keep ahead. answering questions i didn't ask i love it tell go me ahead. this um for the guys in the in the moment that you were in the locker room and you knew that guy's like, man, this guy works his ass off and he really gives a damn. Do you think that he is called entitlement when he used to get upset when the teams weren't doing well or when he was putting in extra work or like guys were lacking behind or weren't picking up their slack and what was going on because they didn't care enough? Do you call that entitlement? No, no, no. You're totally missing the point. The entitlement is feeling like you deserve something. When you work hard at something, you deserve it. That's the reason why you work hard. And yes, everyone in the NFL works hard. For the most part, they work hard. But there is a level, there is a different level of working hard. That's the entitlement, right? Just because everyone works hard. Because you work hard, you deserve something. You don't deserve anything. You only deserve what you get on the field on Sundays. Just because you worked hard doesn't mean you deserve to win. So, you don't deserve to win. Nobody's talking about winning. That, that wasn't the point. Obviously, me and you are not the experts on getting W's. So <laughs> we don't, we don't really was, know what winning is like. We have anyway. no idea so what that, who, who, who's Next entitled question. to that and who deserves it. The point I'm trying to make is, even though by NFL standards or by normal people's standards, every NFL player works hard, there are guys who work harder than that. And, yes, Antonio Browns puts a lot on social media because he's a businessman and he yeah. wants to create that narrative. But I can promise you I from experience, him. I've been around him. The dude is a maniac. Like yeah, He loves it too much. He will he's never be able to walk away from football. When he is done, there will be a period of time where people will look at him and wonder, like, ah, oh, man, is he ever going to get over that? Because all he cares about, all he does is work out 24-7. So the little bit he shows you on social media is really only a little bit. That I'm not being arguing said, he's not a hard worker. He's a very hard worker. 
But there's a lot I of guys know. that are hard workers that don't put there it on are, social media. But there's level. There's a lot of people who are good, but they're not as good as everybody else. You That's have true. to either be you're not if you're not as good as Antonio Brown and you're not and you don't work as hard as him. Usually when you have the best player on the team and he is more talented than everybody else and he works harder than everybody else. I don't care what you tell me, Joe. Yes, he's entitled to a higher opinion. That's just how the NFL works. Remember when Mike Pett used to tell us we our plane left at two o'clock. For away game. <laughs> I love this one. You had this to be there at 145. Show up at 201, and you will find out what this organization thinks about you. <laughs> what he meant by that was, if you're Joe Thomas, I the plane will probably it. still be there. This Jump one. on at 202. We're still waiting for you, Joe. Jump on. If you were Andrew Hawkins, I don't know if the plane was going to be there at 2. <laughs> you might have to find your own way to Green Bay. That's all I'm saying. So, yes, ability and hard work do entitle you to a higher opinion than a lot of people on the team. I'm not saying you put yourself in front of the team, but and I'm not saying he even handled the situation right, but what I'm not going to do is act like just because people say he has a, an attitude problem that anything he's done for the Steelers is now washed. He's one of the best. If He's the best football player in the NFL, top three for sure, period. What he does for that team is amazing. Ben needs him just like he needs Ben or whatever. He'll go to another organization. He will do well, especially if it's the 49ers because Kyle Shanahan, he can deal with that kind of personality. Kyle gets mm-hmm. it. Kyle's a former receiver himself. That would be the perfect situation for him, yeah. which is probably why he's leaning towards that. But still, I just don't like the, the narrative created that, oh, he's just a diva. Get him out of here. He's had 12,000 yards for the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. He was a six-round pick from Central Michigan. He was a walk-on in college. So don't tell somebody about being entitled. He got it from the bottom. Do we call Baker Mayfield entitled? No, he has a chip on his shoulder. He works hard, and he plays really well, and he should deserve the recognition and have an opinion like everybody else. We'll let it stand there, but getting back to the original question, I do agree with you that San Fran would be the perfect situation. I think a new surrounding would be good for him because he can kind of turn over a new leaf and maybe Mm -hmm. recreate and invent himself a little bit in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan being a former receiver, understanding how to deal with receivers, understanding how to get them the football, understanding how to make them part of the offense and make them feel like everything they do is important are some of Kyle's biggest strengths. So I think going out there and playing with Jimmy G would actually be a perfect scenario for him. Now, will they be able to get a deal done? I don't know. They'd have to give up a King's ransom to the Steelers to be able to get Antonio Brown away and on top of that he's already got a huge contract so they would have the big salary cap hit plus they'd have to give up uh, probably picks and maybe players in order to get a guy like Antonio Brown so maybe what Antonio Brown needs to do is go up into the office of uh, the Roonies take a big dump and then take all of Ben Roethlisberger's stuff in his locker throw it into one of those uh, equipment room uh, carts and then push Mm it off a cliff and maybe if he did all those things, he would reduce his value enough where some team could reasonably trade for him. But I still think he hasn't done enough damage in Pittsburgh where they're just desperate to get rid of him for any value. Right. I love it. Tell me this, Joe. Did you watch the New York Jets news conference oh, when they announced the head coach, Adam I did. Man. What were your thoughts? On, Do you oh. still feel really good about that hire, watching him with the, I won't call him what I want to call him, but just call him crazy eyes? Yeah. I was on Wingo and Golick earlier, and they asked me what hire I loved. And I was like, oh, you know, the Adam Gase to the Jets. He seems like he's a really <laughs> good like quarterback whisperer. He's, he's dealt with a lot of young quarterbacks throughout his league. I talked to Peyton 
when uh, Peyton was with him in Denver, Peyton had a really high opinion of him. Uh, Peyton said he's really bright. He's good with quarterbacks. And I thought pairing him with Sam Darnold, finally putting an offensive-minded coach in the Jets organization would be really good for that franchise. You know, they need some development on offense uh, because that's what the league is right now. You need to have a good quarterback and a good offense to give yourself a chance. And then if you have a good defense, you can kind of put together a pretty good team. But then all of a sudden, this press conference shows up where Adam Gaze looks like he maybe hasn't slept in months and he just saw a ghost before he walked into that room. I can't figure out what was going on. And the only thing I could come back to is, we're used to seeing Adam Gase with that hat, like really low over his eyes because, you know, he's like me. He's, he's follically challenged. He's losing some hair up on the top of his head, so he doesn't <laughs> want to show off his bald spots. I always wear the hat, trying to avoid the bald spots, you know, much like my co-host, my uh, humble co-host, Andrew Hawkins. Hey, we're, but we're apparently, saying, he was trying to hide more than the bald spot on the top of his head. He was trying to hide <laughs> the crazy-ass eyes. Now, I thought Mike Tomlin had the craziest eyes in the NFL with those huge saucers that he constantly puts out there when he's surprised on the sideline and in media interviews. But all of a sudden, Adam Gaze comes out and says, oh, you want to do crazy eyes? I double <laughs> down on crazy eyes. Look at this. Oh, my goodness. He looked like an alien who was trying to figure out how to work a flesh suit. Like, <laughs> like this is like he didn't like he's in the inside the little head with little uh, gears and and and. <laughs> controllers like i don't know do you push it this way it it was bizarre if i was that organization someone should put him someone should test him they should have i hope they collected a urine sample (laughs) afterwards because that was a very weird press conference and it's further cemented my genius that that was my least favorite hire even before the press conference it was my least favorite hire and all it did was build all the buzz around me and everybody wanting to get me to talk about sports on their networks um, so I'm sure yeah. those phone calls will be coming any second now. You, you know what I was thinking when I saw that is Josh Gordon must be somewhere thinking, y'all kicked me out of the league for drugs, <laughs> and then you give this guy a second chance at being a head coach? Come on, oh, what's wrong with this, Roger? Miami, man. Miami must have been a blast. All right, guys, let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at Toyota. Toyota isn't just a car company, and the new podcast, Toyota Untold, isn't just about cars. It's about mobility. It's about overcoming challenges like me trying to ease up on the soda. It's about helping people move physically, socially, and emotionally. It's about finding solutions, like we try to do for Nat's horrible hot takes, to no avail. When you think Toyota, you think sustainability, triumph, facing fears, celebrating life, and rethinking what's possible. In Toyota Untold, you'll hear unique and insightful behind-the-scenes stories, such as how a son's love for his mother led to Toyota's unlikely origin as an automated loom company, why and how a Toyota Tundra was used to tow a space shuttle through the streets of L.A., and how robotics, other advanced technologies, and mobility services are being researched and developed to address the challenges for the elderly, disabled, and even Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Discover how Toyota is rethinking mobility in the brand new podcast, Toyota Untold. You can find Toyota Untold right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, we got the Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, saying he doesn't rule out sitting Cam Newton for all of 2019. Joe, what is your take on this? Do you Is that something you're like, yeah, it's a smart idea. He, Newton supposedly is going to have shoulder surgery. And Tepper's quote exactly was, if you told me he took a year off and could recover and be fully recovered and everything else, and that's what it took, an extra year, why wouldn't I do it? So, 
Um, it seems like he's serious about it. I don't know if it would take that, but we watched what happened to Andrew Luck, right? And he took a year yeah. out and he came back balling. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Ron Rivera just went to his hotel room with flowers and a get well soon card because he knows <laughs> if Newton digs a year off, his ass is grass. And that team's a lawnmower because he's going to get fired because they can't win without Cam Newton, as you saw down the stretch this season. But David Tepper, he's a new, new-ish owner, so he feels like he's got time still. You know, he's got sort of a long time horizon. I think that when you're an owner, this this happens. You come in, and originally you're thinking, all right, I got four or five years to turn this around. So you kind of take that long, slow approach. Then the first few years, you're, you're the owner, you take the slow approach and you lose a lot, right? Because in order to be competitive in this league, first of all, you got to have a quarterback, but you got to put all your assets in every single season to try to win. Because when you don't do that, the difference between good and shit in the NFL is very small. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden you rack up a couple losing seasons and you realize how painful it is. In the NFL, there's only 16 regular season games, and losing one, that hurts a lot. It's not like baseball or basketball where, oh, you know, we got another one tomorrow night. You know, they're going to write a couple articles about how we lost, but it's no big deal. Like, in football, you lose a couple games in a row. Now everybody in town is talking, fire the coach, get rid of the quarterback, the owner's a bum. Everybody in sports talk is hating on everything that you do. It's just a bad deal because then you got to answer the questions. It's just no fun. It's miserable. These uh, big-time owners – the last thing they were thinking about when they they bought a team and went from obscurity to all of a sudden being the most well-known person in the city is, wow, this is going to be a $2 billion disaster and I'm going to hate every day that I wake up owning yeah. this franchise. So then all of a sudden, then they become a little bit panicked and then they start hitting the accelerator and try to turn things around, right? Well, David Tepper's in, I think, his second year right now and he saw what happened with Andrew Luck and he was going hey, this might not be a bad idea because we saw Andrew Luck take basically two years off. All of a sudden he came back and he was playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I need my Cam Newton to be the best quarterback in the league for his final, let's say, seven, eight years in the NFL Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of dealing with this sore shoulder for years and years and then all of a sudden now you fix it and then now he's only got a couple years left and he's too old and he's too his arm is too weak at that point to really make that run so he's thinking all right I want to take my medicine now and then I can get another good seven years out of Cam as I reload the franchise after kind of one one bad down year yeah it makes sense man I just get nervous that like when people start to talk and take years off, especially later in their career, that's the biggest difference. Well, I guess not because him and Andrew Luck aren't too different in age. But, you know, Cam has taken a pounding and he's a physical specimen. He hasn't really been hurt like for any long period of time. And he runs the football like more in, in, in a way that we haven't seen in the NFL for a long time. So I just get nervous with an injury starts. It's kind of momentum in the wrong way. Like once it starts, you can't put that bottle back. You can't close that bottle back up. They just start coming and coming and coming. So on one hand, it's smart from the owner to say, hey, let's try to nip this in the bud now. On the other hand, it does make me nervous because once the injuries start, you know, you're older. It, they don't slow down after that. They just, <laughs> they just come more and more frequently. <laughs> I agree. Right. Well, hey, would you look at that just on time? Joel Batonio calling in for his first ever interview on the Tomahawk. Joel. What the hell took so long? You know, that's a good question. I think early on when you guys were, you know, had all those high-profile guys, I wasn't quite, you know, able to make a list. <laughs> and then things got busy, and uh, I'm glad it's worked out now, though. It, it, yeah. it has worked out, and I can concur. You were not big enough to join the Tomahawk show early <laughs> on. 
Uh, Joe, you're coming off of an exciting season, man. You made your first ever Pro Bowl, named to your first all-pro team. Wild stuff. You're the longest-tenured Cleveland Brown, and you've been there for like 76 hours. How does all that feel? How are you How are you soaking all this in, Joel? You know, it was a good year. It was uh, it was fun to win some games, man. It, it's tough not winning too many games. But um, it was really cool to finally get some recognition from the league. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, for the rest of my life, I can be like, man, I was a pro baller at least once. You, you know, there that's you something go. you can always say, and uh, it, it's pretty cool to be a part of that. But um, it, it, it's fun really to win. You know, winning games, I forgot how fun it was. You know, I went through a, a long stretch there without winning. And um, it was cool to just be competitive again and, and, and go out there and compete every week. We talk about one of the guys that had uh, a big influence on that winning, and that was Freddie Kitchens. He got promoted to the offensive coordinator after Hugh got let go, and he recently was named the head coach. Joel, can you give us any stories that might illustrate to our listeners, because everybody's interested in the Freddie Kitchens angle right now, especially all the Browns fans that listen to this podcast, but why you think Freddie can be a great head coach for the Cleveland Browns? Honestly, one of the big things is his ego is not big. Um, he's accepting of what other people have thoughts on. You know, he comes to the O-line room every week, and, and you've been around, not every OC does this, and he has a really group talk about what plays we think we want to run against this team. You know, they can watch the film, but we're the ones that have to like, go out there and block it. And he really takes what the defense gives him. So, you know, we go against Cincinnati last year the first time, and they have some good pass rushers, but we feel like, our five guys can, can you know, take their four for sliding to Gino and, and Carlos and those guys. And so he spread them out, and they didn't, couldn't cover us. You know, he just accepted what was happening, and he wasn't afraid to, to, to make those calls. And I don't know what it is about him, but he has a great sense of when to throw in a trick play or when to, you know, take that shot that you can really, you know, score in a play or two. So I, I think he's just, you know, the way he interacts with people and – the way he's so accepting of what others think and the group think process is, is, you know, what makes him a great head coach candidate. What was your reaction when he was named the head coach? You know, I wasn't sure if they were going to give him the chance or not. You know, when, when you're a player, you don't really get to hear much about who they're, who they're interviewing or if they're interviewing just for show. And, you know, when he was named the head coach, I, there wasn't a much buzz about it. So I, I was pretty excited though. You know, I didn't know if they were going to give him a, a true shot to, to be the guy and, and, you know, I think this day and age, you know, you want that young coordinator. And, and for the NFL, he's pretty young in his 40s. And that um, young quarterback that are going to be able to grow together for the next, you know, 10 years, hopefully. Joel, I mean, you talked about finally being able to win and all the losing that you endured years past. Because of you, may I add, it was mostly your fault. But what is the biggest <laughs> difference in the locker room now between now and when, like you said, you guys were on that one in thirty-one stretch of of L's. You know, every game, even when we were zero and sixteen and one in fifteen, we we felt like we could win. Yeah, I mean, you're an NFL player. You know, you're going out there like you competed your whole life. You felt like you can win, but there's a true belief now with Baker at quarterback that hey, no matter what happens in this game, if we get down two touchdowns, we're up two touchdowns, we got a chance to win this thing. You know, he's gonna he's gonna do something on the field that's gonna get us going. And quarterback's the most important position in the NFL. And uh, when you have that, it just makes things so much easier. I think that's one of the main things where it's like guys can enjoy themselves. And another thing I've noticed is when you win games and you have a bad play, it's it's not as bad. I mean, obviously you want to fix it, but, <laughs> but you know, you give up a, a TFL or something, like, man, 
we still won that game. I, I can fix my uh, mistake and, and move on, but we can celebrate a victory. When you when you lost, you're like, did I just cause that loss? Am I the reason? <laughs> and according to Hawk, I am, but, you know, we're going to get by there. <clears throat> well, Hawk's a jerk, so it's not surprised that uh, yeah. he blames everyone else for the Browns' problems when he was there. So <laughs> it only makes sense that he continues to blame other people. <clears throat> Die with a uh, lie. It seemed like the offensive line – played as well if not better than any other unit in the in the league down the stretch is there anything you can kind of attribute that to i got one you thing know, but we'll see what joel says group effort you know baker really did improve you know and that matters you know when you have a quarterback that can get rid of the ball a little quicker can move in the pocket it helps the line and, and and then gray coming in was big you know he wasn't perfect by any means but when he was out there, you know, he didn't get beat quick, and he was pretty consistent most of the time. And just having those two teams shirt up um, really improved. And I think the rest of the whole line, you know, we played every snap, the, the middle three and, and hub. And those guys, we, we all improved as the season went on, but I think Baker improving, getting the ball to his hands, quicker play calls, you know, hey, we're going to get the ball and, and let things happen. Um, it, it, was all, it was all fun. You know, it was, it, was, it was cool to be part of that where it's like, hey, they're not giving up sacks anymore. They're not doing this and that. And, uh, yeah. and I think it was just a group effort. Speaking of Greg, uh, another Greg that had a big influence on the Browns season was Greg Williams. And he actually just got let go at the end of the season. Not a big surprise because whenever you bring in a new coach, a lot of times he wants to bring in his own guys. But were you surprised that Greg Williams wasn't given more of an opportunity to have that head coaching job once the season was over, considering how well he did when he took over as the interim guy? You know, I, I feel like they gave him the interview. They wanted to see where his mind was at. I think just with this day and age, they want to go with that young offensive mind that's going to going to be able to groom Baker Mayfield. You know, if he can get his offensive staff, you know, the guys, you know, and I know he has Drew Stan in the room, Ryan Lindley is the quarterback coach, you know, all these guys that he can work with for hopefully the next five, ten years and really develop, I think that's what they were shooting for. You know, I think Greg did a great job. I think, uh, you know, the way he kind of turned things around and, and brought a little bit of discipline and, and – uh you know, just his attitude to practice and all those things was, was unbelievable for us. We needed that. And, you know, I appreciate what he did for us. But I think they wanted to go in his direction of an offensive-minded coach. And, and that's kind of what you saw with um, a lot of the interviews. Joel, this is the best that Cleveland Browns fans have felt about their team in a long time. Now, they, Since I've been a part of the Browns fandom, it's probably the best that the team has ever been. And I think that's obvious. But there were other times they felt really good about the prospectus of the Browns going going forward. How real is it? How, how, how is your feeling from a player standpoint? Is this also the best that you felt as a member of the Cleveland Browns that you've been there? Yeah, uh, especially the last half, last half of the season. I mean, it was it was really remarkable, you know, go five and three and, and be in every game pretty much. You know, we kind of gave one away against uh, the three lose field by a bunch. Then um, Ravens? One of the team. Yeah, the Titans. Titans. Titans, too, yeah. Texans, Chargers. Texans, whatever. You, you have a great memory, Joel. Oh, yeah. A real Sean McVay yard there. <laughs> <laughs> who do we play? Uh, the, the, the Clippers, that's who it was. Anyway. Yeah. Um, no, but, I mean, you have – Joe will tell you this. We have um, good young players at, at main positions that are that are important. Quarterback, obviously. Running back, Miles Garrett off the edge, Denzel Ward. I mean, these guys are all first, second-year guys. And they're cornerstone piece of your franchise, you know, on, on low money contracts. So you still have money to bring in other players, draft 
other guys. And um, quarterback's the main thing, though. When you have the quarterback, you you can be confident about other things, and he can fix other issues that might be part of your team. You know, look at the Patriots. They have great coaching and stuff, but Tom Brady's been the fixture forever. And if they are down at receiver or down at O-line, he makes everybody better. And hopefully Baker can be that guy. I'm not saying he's that guy yet, but hopefully over the next few years he can improve and be that guy for us where it's like, hey, we're building around this guy, and the future is bright because of him. That's awesome. Two two of the biggest things happened this year for you that I think I'm trying to figure out which one was bigger, and I'll ask you the question. Number one, your wife, Courtney, had, had your first child, right? Am I am I wrong in that? Do, do I have no, this information? Right. Okay. <laughs> but nope. I was that intel. Right accounts on Twitter. That intel. <clears throat> on Instagram. <laughs> um, and then also, you were able to pick up a fumble and rush for oh. the, probably the biggest running play in Cleveland Browns history. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what did that feel like? And which of those two experiences rank higher in your book? I'm going to have to go with my wife having a baby. Wow, that was too long of a pause. You, you just <laughs> got to the merit from the wife. She's going to listen. Courtney is going to listen, so that was a good answer. That's slight it. She's an avid listener of the Tomahawk show, so had to make sure I, I said that right. Um, <laughs> but, right. yeah, that, that was obviously uh, a crazy moment. I mean, just to have a kid, it, you don't really understand what it's like until you go through the whole situation. But the run, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I kind of just yeah. blacked out, and all my uh, all my years with Hawk out there, I was just like, you know what, I got to – I got to show him I can run the ball. I just picked it up. And honestly, I thought I was going to get cut down as I turned the corner. But I want to say it was Jarvis maybe that came in and like blindsided a guy for me. So I stumbled for eight or nine more yards. And honestly, the guys didn't tackle as hard as I thought they were. You know, no one hit my knee, which was nice. That was the main worry. But, um, but you know, I just was happy I didn't like fumble or embarrass myself running the ball. That's what big guys think of. We're not like, oh, what move did I do? We're just thinking don't embarrass yourself. Hey, when you had that football in your hand, how fast did it feel like you were running? I mean, you had to be feeling like you were running four three forty speed right there. And then when you look at the film, you're like, holy crap, look how slow I am. Yeah, honestly, I thought it was the fastest guy on the field. I was like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I just ran for 20 yards, you know, and then I got hit at like four yards and fell to nine yards. So it was, uh, even when I see it today, I'm like, man, that wasn't quite as fast or as athletic as I thought it was. But, you know, I'll still cherish that. I'm not going to tell. My daughter said it was uh, called back because you can't advance a fumble under two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We're missing. The, the whole point was it didn't even count. Oh, man. How, how about when you see the, 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 the exclusive Tomahawk highlight tape we made? You know, I had to have someone show me that because I've been bad. I don't go on Twitter during the season now. That's you know, right, I, I, you've been, you've been Cleveland that, long but, enough. <laughs> but I saw it, and that was one of the most unbelievable things ever. That really – I felt like a superstar. You know, Nick Chubb gets that every week. Joel Petonio, <laughs> only on the Tomahawk show. So I, uh, That's right, baby. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, guys. You are a superstar. Well, and word to the wise, when you describe the birth of your child, it's an experience, not a situation. Joel, <laughs> we appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk. We love you, brother. We miss you. Keep killing it. Super proud of you, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, big thank you to our man, Joel Batonio, for coming on. He just got named to the Pro Bowl, which was pretty amazing. Long overdue, might I add. He's a guy that's been yes. at the top of the league playing guard for a long time. But sometimes it, it just takes a little bit of winning, a little bit of success for everybody to, 
to recognize in the NFL how well you've been playing. But once you break that glass ceiling, he'll be in every year from now until eternity. So really happy for him, really <laughs> happy for the Browns. And uh, it seems like he's a big Freddie Kitchens fan, which is pretty cool if you're a Browns fan. I mean, that's the cool part is that, you know, the fans feel great about a coach and the guys inside feel even better about it. And when he gives you the insight, like at the OC going into the O-line room and getting their take, like players not only love that, but it, it helps the game plan. Like players will do better with plays that they feel comfortable with. I would get so frustrated with Andy Dalton when we were in Cincinnati because we would go into the week, we would get a play um, on that Monday from Jay Gruden. He, and Jay might love the play, right? And it could be a very good play. Andy would say he didn't feel good about it. We were running in practice. It wouldn't look nice. Andy would th throw it, might get picked off, might be miscommunication. It's a play. And then we would get in the game. We were running in the game, and he would throw an interception on the play. And I'm like, Andy, I get that you have to listen to your coach. I get that that's the authority. But if you don't feel good about a play, when you throw a pick, they're not going to point to the coach and say it's his fault and you never felt <laughs> good about the play all week. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel good about it, Throw it out. Tell him you don't want to run it. We get in the mm -hmm. game. He gives you the play. Tell him to give you another one. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. So when players feel good about the plays or when players feel good about a play caller who is taking in uh, their perspective on, you know, what they feel good about, what will work, what doesn't, it just it just builds chemistry and rapport. And, and guys just feel like they're out there um, working together and just more involved. So that's really cool to hear Joel tell those stories about Freddie Kitchens and yeah, Browns fans should continue to feel really good about that hire. You know what I like about that? When when Freddie comes around and he talks to the guys in the offense, especially the guys that are, you know, like Nat, they're influencers. Like, who are the influencers in the Browns locker room? That's going to be your quarterback, obviously, yeah. Baker Mayfield, your Joel Batonio, your Duke Johnson, your Jarvis Landry, like those guys that are the playmakers and the leaders. And when they feel like they have ownership in certain plays because they tell the coach, yeah, hey, I like this play, I like this play, all of a sudden – for some reason, it's just human nature that brings a lot more out of you. And you, when you take ownership of something like a play call, even if Freddie doesn't listen to him one bit, just that feeling, that sense that your opinion is important and it matters, I think right. that really builds that camaraderie and that teamwork that you're looking for in the NFL because that's what all the great teams have. Question. Last question I'm going to ask you today. Mm -hmm. Nat, I, I'd like to get your take on this as well. So Let's say up. you won a national championship. Right, you won a national championship. You get to visit the White House, mm. right? The same house that George Washington lived in back in old seventeen. Not really. That one burned down a couple times. But well, <laughs> essentially, the idea it. is the same. It's Some the say, house. but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> you get to go visit the White House, and they serve you Big Macs, pizza, no Chick Fil A. That's a, that was a, that was a mess. That was definitely a miss. What are your thoughts on having to eat fast food at the White House? I would be pissed. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous, first of all. If you're going to do fast food, at least, like you said, do Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out or something a little more gourmet than McDonald's because <laughs> McDonald's is disgusting. I hate McDonald's. Oh, I'm wow. going gonna, gonna to cut you off there and say you're out of line. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's is Shout good out breakfast. to McDonald's. Okay, but you I can't go to the White House. Of course you do. You can't go to the White House and have that kind of meal. I'm expecting at least like a four-course, five-star meal. My only issue, my biggest issue with it is the fact that it's catered. Catered well, McDonald's or fast food means that it was cold when you got it. Yeah. Like so if it gross. was like where they had the McDonald's workers come in and they made it in front of you, I would rather eat McDonald's probably than most other meals. 
So it would make my day to have like a fresh Big Mac, fresh fries. <laughs> in the White at House? At the White Like, oh my gosh. I would bring White House. I would bring McDonald's with me to the White House. They should have got White Castle at the White House. Like that fresh White Castle. Sweet. Ca- that would have been next level oh everything. God. Joe, what is your take, man? How do you feel about the McDees? So some people that follow me on social media, at Joe Thomas 73 they know that I'm a big food guy. I always ate a lot to keep the weight on in the NFL. I started traveling mm-hmm. uh, when I got to the NFL because of Alex Mack. He really got me the travel bug. And so one of the things that I love most about going overseas in new countries was trying their food because I love oh. trying new experiences. And so I'm, I'm a little bit of a foodie now. I'm trying to learn how to cook. And if I went to the White House, knowing all the Michelin-starred chefs that work at the White House, I'd be expecting like the most kick-ass meal with amazing presentation and truthfully, I would be a little bit disappointed now, me, Joe Thomas, 34 years old, if I was eating McDonald's and Burger King at the White House. However, 21, 20-year-old me, knowing that I would have unlimited Burger King, McDonald's, or Taco Bell, would have been a really, really happy camper. That would have been my dream scenario <laughs> when I was in college, was unlimited buffet-style fast food. You know what I thought you were going to say when you said you were a traveler? I thought you were going to say... When you travel, because this is true of me, when I went out of the country and had McDonald's, McDonald's is even better in different countries. Yeah, dude. I don't know what true. it was. <laughs> I went to Cancun and we had McDonald's and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I loved it. For whatever reason, McDonald's is more fresh in Mexico to the point. This is like when I first went to Mexico, I was in high school. And then me and my wife went to Cabo like within the last year. And I left the hotel and walked in Cabo downtown like a 30-minute walk, 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back, just to get the McDonald's in mm. Mexico because wow. the burgers were so fresh and they it was everything good. that I thought it would be. When I was so, in Tokyo, I went to um, – so right before my first daughter was born, my wife and I decided, all right, this is going to be our last real chance to go travel. So we did a three-week Asian vacation. We went to Tokyo, Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, and Cambodia. It was really fun. But when we were in Tokyo – I still wasn't into like eating fish three meals a day because like over there it was like breakfast. Oh, it's raw fish. It's raw clams. And and then lunch, same thing. (laughs) Dinner, same thing. So one (laughs) afternoon we were traveling around the city and I was like, oh, there's a McDonald's. Let's go like get a burger. And I went in there and no shit in Tokyo, you can get sushi at McDonald's. Now I didn't do it. Mm. I was a little bit nervous, but you can get like raw tuna at McDonald's. But I did. You are right about this. I did go for, I think I went with a quarter pounder because that's my go-to. And uh-huh. it was way better than the quarter pounders I get in the United States. And my theory was this. It was overseas, there's far fewer McDonald's, but it holds a lot more prestige because it's like, oh, American McDonald's. Wow, this must be the great American restaurant that they wanted to bring to us. And so I think the people <laughs> that work there probably take more pride in being that, oh, we're the only McDonald's, <laughs> the American restaurant in Tokyo. And so they probably get people that take more pride in their job. They get fresher ingredients because they're like the only one. And they're probably buying instead of from like the uh, the bulk warehouse McDonald's uh, distributor in Wisconsin. They're getting it from like the local butcher who's making their McDonald's hamburgers. Uh, so that's my theory <laughs> why it's the a little bit better overseas. What an ignorant, entitled take. Thank you. 
McDonald's overseas are incredible because they're like, man, we got to make this because this is American <laughs> now. That they take pride in our America so much yeah. that they have a, a higher level of pride in making them burgers in Tokyo. But I love it though. I, you know, I've never been outside of North America, Joe. What? Wow. I've never left North America. Uh, I guess Canada, it's not that shocking. It's Mexico. Common. That's 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 where I reside. I just don't have a desire to fly across the, the oceans and go to other places. I need to. You don't have Maybe a desire to do that, though? Like, you don't want I to? Have, I don't. There's no part of me that says, man, I can't. I need to get to Europe. Wow. Like, there's just no part. It's just never been a thing. Like, I, I don't know what's wrong with me because everyone is like, what do you mean you don't want to do that? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I just love where I'm at so much. I'm I'm a ve- I'm very much a, a a creature of habit, and if something is good, I'm like a if it's not not broke, don't or if it's not yeah, but broke, you're not going to go it. live there. There's so much I know, to but see. As, I don't know, maybe because <laughs> I'm like there's so much that I haven't seen here. Why would I go? Why would I go there and see things? I've never been to Salt Lake City, Utah. Wow, there's <laughs> I mean, so it's much beautiful to see this there. time of year. You know, I'm mean, gonna have to. I have to soak all that in first. I don't know. Maybe we'll go somewhere. Maybe we'll take a tomahawk retreat over in Europe, leave the kids. <laughs> Us and the grown-ups will just go out there and kick it uh, uh, hangover style. All right, I think that does it for this episode of Tomahawk. Again, make sure you're following us on social at Tomahawk Show using the hashtag Tomahawk uh, so we can reply to all your comments and terrible takes um, like we do to each other here every day on the show. Joe, final thoughts. So my final thought today was, it came to me last night when I was watching Below Deck, which is currently the greatest show on TV. You can catch it on Tuesday nights on Bravo. I am an enormous fan. I was physically upset last night when the show ended, and they teased the next couple episodes, and they looked so amazing. I could not imagine not being able to watch it immediately. So then I started thinking, (laughs) maybe I should just wait until the season's over so I can just binge watch the whole thing because it is so brutal to watch a show and then get teased for the next episode and not be able to watch it. But anyways, the point is, there was this one moment where one of the guys who's the uh, deckhand, he was drunk and he was making himself like a peanut butter sandwich. And he opened up a fresh jar of peanut butter, right? And it had that nice smooth top. And he took his, his knife and he dipped it in there. And he was like, oh, the first track's in a new jar of peanut butter. That's awesome. And it got me thinking, how great is that feeling and that emotion from a simplicity but also a wonderment standpoint of just being able to dip your knife into a fresh jar of creamy peanut butter. It's just the simple things in life, Hawk. I have a peanut allergy, and it's very dangerous. <laughs> if I come near peanut butter, I will collapse. Oh, man. Nat but not least, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>